So good morning. Welcome to all of those in the building and also those on live stream. It is so wonderful to see so many happy eyes today. So, as Jack has already said, my name is Tom, and I am the free one in the buy one, get one free offer. Hate three counties received by hiring Holly. And this morning, we are going to be continuing the series Practicing the Way of Jesus, and we're going to be looking at what it means to be an apprentice, a follower, and a disciple of Jesus. And we have seen that a follower of Jesus is someone who orders their life around these three goals. To be with Jesus, to become more like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. As apprentices of Jesus, we want to become more like Jesus. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm nowhere near there yet. So we need to change. And over the last couple of weeks, Dave has been showing us how we can change through teaching and through practice. And for the next couple of weeks, we are going to be exploring the subject of community. And this morning, we are going to be exploring the idea of community as family. Community is so important in how we are changed and how we are transformed to experience this life to the full. We as humans are not meant to live alone. This was highlighted recently when the country went into lockdown. A study from the Office of National Statistics found that from the 3rd of April to the 3rd of May 2020, 30.9% of adults, 7.4 million, reported that they had seen their well-being negatively affected by loneliness, with a further 2.6 million adults reporting that they felt lonely often or always. Now, this is interesting. In an age where we have been more well-connected digitally, I mean, we can FaceTime, Zoom someone at the click of a button. We can virtually be in the same room as someone. How many of us joined in the trend of Zoom quizzes? And they soon got old. And even though technology helped to fill that void, there was something missing. We still felt so lonely. This issue is easy to skim over in our age of social media, with the likes of Facebook, Twitter, email, text messages, and we can even call someone. That's a bit old-fashioned these days. We are more connected than ever, but connectivity is not the same thing as community. So where better to start looking at this subject than in the beginning? Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let us make mankind in our image. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I thought this was a bit weird. If this really is the beginning of all creation, 
and before mankind was even created, who on earth is God talking to? Some believe that God is talking to the heavenly beings, but the majority believe that God is simply talking to himself. It's okay if you talk to yourself. God does it. You see, God exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God exists in this web of relationships. The God who we look like, the God who we image, exists in community. Which means that we exist in community and are made for community too. Or in other words, God is a family who builds families. Luke 8, 19 to 21. Now Jesus, now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are the ones who hear God's word and put it into practice. There's that word practice again. Here, Jesus calls his followers his family. We see that we don't have to be a blood connection to Jesus to be in the family of God. Central to Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God is a calling to a new family, not built around ethnicity, but around the family of God. Let's remember who Jesus is talking to in this passage. Jesus would have been surrounded by Jewish people. So what Jesus is really saying here is you can be Jewish and not be in the family of God, but also you can be a Gentile and be in the family of God. Jesus is purposely being provocative in what he's saying. Now in our modern day, I don't think we really understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying here. But this is a staggering leap forward for the kingdom and story of God. Jesus knew how important having a community around him was, a community that was like a family. And in my opinion, he didn't make it easy for himself. We can find so much about the foundation of building community as family from looking at the disciples Jesus chose to do life with. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, or come be my apprentice, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here we find Jesus calling his first disciples, come follow me, come be my apprentice. I'm sure Jesus being God could have done it on his own. But instead, Jesus decides to make it harder for himself and decides to invite Peter, Andrew, James and John to be his community, to be 
his disciples. These were good Jewish men who knew the Torah and were from the area of Galilee. But Jesus didn't just come for the religious. Matthew 9 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Why is this important? Matthew was a Jew working for the Roman Empire. He was a sinner in the eyes of the Pharisees because he was a non-religious Jew. And Jesus went on to add to his community, which is referenced in Matthew 10, verse 2. The community Jesus chose for himself was made up of people with different personalities, different backgrounds, people from all different types of life. Matthew was a tax collector, Simon was a zealot, which is essentially an extremist that used guerrilla tactics to fight against the Roman Empire. Then you have the sons of thunder, James and John. Contrast that with the quiet, doubting Thomas. Then there was Judas, and we all know how that ended. Now that is a Bible study group that I would love to be a part of. I can imagine them all sat around there, all quietly nodding, agreeing with each other, accepting each other's different views on politics and everything. It must have just been so harmonious. I think not. I imagine there was tension. I imagine there would have been stern words for each other. And no, I can't imagine they would have accepted each other's different views on politics. I imagine life was hard. John Mark Comer uses this helpful pattern to describe community. He says there is an ideal of community and the messy reality of community. And discipleship happens in the space between. We see this in Acts 2, where it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, wow. What an example of what community should look like. Who would love to be a part of that community? Now let's look at Acts 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sephora, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to him, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. 
When Ananias heard this, he fell down, kadong, and died. And great fear seized over everyone who heard what happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Are you sure you would have wanted to be a part of the early church? Thank goodness I have not seen that happen so far. The point is this. They literally just had the Holy Spirit come down in Acts 2. Peter gave the best evangelistic talk in history. And then this happened. Maybe, just maybe, they were human after all. We have this gap between... There we go. We have this gap between the ideal of community and the messy reality of community, and discipleship happens in the space between. John Mark Homer suggests six ways in which we can grow and transform as community. Don't worry, I promise you they're short. It'll only take till three o'clock. Firstly, community is non-optional for discipleship to Jesus. Jesus didn't just call one disciple. He called many disciples. Jesus was always surrounded by people. He always had crowds around him. Why? Perhaps Jesus was afraid to be alone. Perhaps he just liked showing off. No, it's because you can't separate discipleship to Jesus and community. You just can't. It just does not work. In the New Testament, there are two dominant metaphors for what it means to be the people of God. First is you are a disciple, follower, or apprentice of Jesus. And the other is that we are family, that God is our father, and we are brothers and sisters, and we become family. We can't be in relationship with the father, but not a part of the father's family which we are told in the New Testament is called the church. Ronald Rollheiser says this. Part of the very essence of Christianity is to be together in a concrete community with all real human faults that are there and the tensions this will bring us. Spirituality for a Christian can never be an individualistic quest. The pursuit of God outside of community family, and church. The God of the incarnation tells us that anyone who says that he or she loves an invisible God in heaven and is unwilling to deal with a visible neighbor on earth is a liar, since no one can love a God who cannot be seen if he or she cannot love a neighbor who can be seen. Hence, a Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. A Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. So you have to be in community. It's non-optional. Second, community is non-optional for a well-lived life. If you are a human being, and I believe we all are here, You are made for relationships. We are relational souls. Life is better when we journey with companions along the way. 
when things are going great and something great happens to you, what's one of the first things you do? You tell someone. You share that excitement with them. And in the bad times, we mourn together as well. We are a community. We are a family. When something affects the one, it often affects the many. Third is this. Community is the, sorry, third is this. Community is the content where we are transformed. Some of the effects of being in community with people is that we start liking the same things they like. We may pick up phrases that someone says. We may even start listening to the same music as them. But there is something more that happens when we have intentional relationships that reflect Jesus. Being in community does two things in our transformation. One, exposure. And two, encouragement. Exposure. It exposes what is actually inside of you, whether that is greed, anger, selfishness, dishonesty. All these traits are in the disciples. Community exposes what is really inside of us. The author of The Emotionally Healthy Church defines our shadow sides like this. Your shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts that, while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behaviours. It is the damaged, most hidden version of who you are. We all have a shadow side. Some of us may know what our shadow side is. Some of us will have absolutely no idea. When we step into community and become family, it exposes our shadow sides. If you don't know what your shadow side is, ask your community, ask your family. I'm sure they will be able to tell you. And I'm sure they will tell you in love. And that's the key. Why do we as community pull each other up on our shadow sides? It's in love. As we practice the way of Jesus. Great shot. It is how we are transformed. What a healthy community also does is encouragement. The only way to get healing from a relational wound is in relationship. Our greatest wounds come from relationship. And also our greatest healings come from relationship. Community, much like family, is a safe place where we can stumble and fall and be helped back up again. I love this quote from the book Slow Church. It says, Spiritual foundation occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow, People who leave do not grow. It is that simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. If you are in community, you will know that it is hard sometimes. If you don't know that, then I'm sure you will find it out. But it is in the crucible of community that we are formed and forged to be like Jesus. Fourth, community is not necessarily the same thing as a group of friends. 
We often find that in life and in friendship, there are two types of ties. Strong ties, that would be like a mother and child, a close family, best friends. And then the other type of ties, the weak ties, such as some co-workers, neighbours, or even your local barista. We live, in a whole, uh, we live in a world with a whole load of weak ties and very few strong ties. It is easier than ever before to be connected to everyone, but in community with no one. The odds are that if you pulled out your phone or looked on your social media profiles, you could have hundreds of weak ties that you can comment on, like their posts, or on your phone you could text or call. But I wonder if you did, would they answer? Would they even pick up? Online communities are so hard because it can strip us of what is most important to us. Don't get me wrong, during the pandemic, Zoom and YouTube live streams have been amazing for keeping people connected and to help us to connect with our church family, especially those who aren't able to be here in person. I mean, where else can you turn up to church in your pyjamas and eat a bowl of cereal at the same time? But it's just not the same. Community, it's who you do life with. The people who see us on our best days looking all glamorous. And those who see us on our bad days, when we've had an absolute rubbish day, when we're not in a good place. Fifth, community is the byproduct of commitment. Our culture today is a throwaway culture. If something doesn't work for us, we simply get rid of it. We have this longing for community, but in the next breath, we want to keep our options open in case something better is around the corner. We approach relationships with this consumer mindset. What's in it for me? What can I get out of this relationship? We live in a world of options. So we hold off from committing, because what if there is something better out there? We do this with our churches, we do this with our communities, we do this with our jobs, we do this with our friends, we do it with everything. Instead of committing and letting these things in, we keep it at an arm's length. We put up our internal barriers in case the best is yet to come. The reality is, You can't have community without commitment. If we want safe, long-term, in-depth, honest relationships, we have to commit to a group of people, to a community, to a family. We will never find the perfect community or situation because guess what? You and I are in it, and we are far from perfect. We are far from the ideal. We're not Jesus. We all have problems and issues, but what we have to say is, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in this for the long run. Through the good and through the bad, I choose to commit. We can't have community without commitment, so commit to community. And sixth, and I'm going to end with this. Community takes time. 
and it's intentional. It takes time. It takes a while. It simply doesn't happen overnight, especially in our hectic lives. Church, I urge you, be intentional in your community. And one of the best and easiest ways of doing this is through our small groups. Now, if you aren't in a small group, or you're not sure if you're in a small group, or you would like to be in a small group, please contact the church. The email address for the church, speak to one of the leadership. They will happy, happily put you in touch with a small group leader. So church, I want to leave you with this challenge. Let's lean into community and let our lives be transformed in the way of Jesus. Let's pray. And Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the people you have put around us, for the communities you have formed and are forming in this place, God. We ask you to bless them and grow them and use them for your glory, God. Help us to commit to our communities, God, as we commit to following the way of Jesus. Amen.